I'm convinced that when it comes to music, everybody has this. Guilty pleasures. Do you agree with this theory? I do. I'd like to test it out. Let's just paint a picture, okay? It's 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday. You're walking down the hallowed halls of Acadia Divinity College. And what do you hear from the president's office? Ozzy <laughs> 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 <Ozzie> Osbourne. <laughs> Could it be Don't Stop Believing by <laughs> Second floor, and you walk past Dr. Zacharias' office. Dr. Zacharias's office. And what do you hear? Yes, Danny is the dancing queen. <laughs> hear the tambourine. Anyway, I'm not I'm convinced we all have musical guilty pleasures. Do you want to hear mine? Are you ready for mine? Ready. Ready for the question? <laughs> this doesn't leave the room. Except for the podcast. Oh, this is recorded? No, no, no. Just hand over the mic. My guilty musical pleasure goes back to my teenage days. Van Halen. Now, technically speaking, Edward Van Halen is one of the best guitar players on the planet. His band, which is Van Halen, is known for many things. Not least of which is having multiple lead singers. There was the David Lee Roth era, then the Sammy Hagar era, and in the late 90s there was a three-year period where Gary Sharon was the lead singer of Van Halen. They parted amicably after one album. Now one song on that album was entitled Fire in the Hole. And it actually was on the Lethal Weapon 4 soundtrack. How's this for trivia for you? I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> but hearing that song back in 1998 on the radio, there was a tag on the end of the song. And I thought, wait a second, those words are familiar. And as it turns out, He's quoting James 3 at the end of the song. So, fire in the hole is a metaphor for shooting your mouth off. Of course, originally it's a military term for an explosive about to go off. But let's read from James 3 this morning, which has some very gritty advice about how we speak. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, and have been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. God bless the reading of his word this morning. You know, James, who was one of the leaders in the early church, it's somewhat strange that he starts off by saying, don't become teachers. He was a teacher himself. Why does he say this? Because if you're a teacher, you will be judged more strictly. But why... That statement, is it the, the idea, the Spider-Man idea, that with great power comes great responsibility? <laughs> I think that's only part of the reason why. I think it's a little more obvious than that. James is convinced that one of the most difficult things we can do is keep our words in check. How many of you would agree with that? If you are a teacher, there are just simply more occasions to put your foot in your mouth or get in trouble with your words. Not that I have ever gotten in trouble that way, but... <laughs> Sarcasm. It might be a bigger challenge for teachers, but folks, I think we would all recognize that none of us is off the hook. It doesn't matter what we do. Everyone struggles with saying the right thing and saying it the right way. And... He talks in verse 2 about our speech and perfection. And this always strikes me as a little bit strange as well. But let's remember here, James is being rhetorical. He's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for effect. And this does not mean that he's joking or that he's not serious. Far from it. He wants our attention. And you can't read this passage without paying close attention. James is willing to say that if we speak right, we've made it. Now, you may or may not know this, but James had a brother. Yes, Jesus himself. And one of the most startling things that Jesus said was that our words are a window to our heart. And this is why words are powerful. Yes, we probably have all said things in a moment of anger, but I think when we are in those times and places, we need to ask ourselves, is this a once-off or does this reflect what's inside? 
Darth Vader famously said, don't underestimate the power of the dark side. James would paraphrase that and say, don't underestimate the power of your words. And he uses these pictures, which are helpful, a bit in the, the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship. This past summer, I took my, my kids down to the waterfront and we saw, on different occasions, we saw a cruise ship and we also saw the USS Theodore Roosevelt, one of the Nimitz craft US aircraft carriers. These are massive ships, and I don't know how these things work today, but relatively speaking, how they are controlled is very small compared to the size of the ship. In our tongues, our words get us into trouble. They have great power. And he summarizes it this way. You can tame all kinds of animals, but not the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And I say at this point, okay, James, how do you really feel? <laughs> it's worth thinking about how we use our words. Because I'm convinced, and I'm speaking personally here, I can do much better. Maybe not on my own, but I'll get to that. It's worth thinking about how we use our words. Are we harsh? Am I harsh with my words? And I'm thinking specifically here, maybe with my kids. Do we need to take the edge out of our words? In other words, how we're saying things. Are we dismissive with our words? You know, the tone or the actual words we use, do they, do they convey the idea, ah, that's stupid. And often, I think sometimes we will, we will convey the idea that in the kingdom of me, everything, else is, everything I say is great. What everybody else says is, meh, maybe it's okay. Have we considered the feelings of others, the opinions of others, the perspectives of, of others when we use our words? Or... Someone, a little person in my family, his catchphrase is, well, I'm not trying to. <laughs> and I have to point out, well, it doesn't matter if you're trying to or not. The proof is in the pudding. Are words like that? We use, well, I'm not trying to. If that's the case, then again, we need to go back to the drawing board. How are our words impacting other people? Or maybe we complain. Or we're perpetually grumpy. And I would suggest this morning to us all that if we're comfortable with a scowl, if we're looking for a fight all of the time, it isn't the Holy Spirit who is prompting our words. How about gossip? Making other people's problems our entertainment. Or flying off the handle. Maybe we have a problem with anger and our words are used as weapons sometimes. Do we think it's okay to speak one way in one situation and another way in another situation? Again, work at home or home and everywhere else. People close to us get the, get the worst. Everybody else thinks we're, you know, just the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. The crux of the matter is this. James talks about it in verses 9 and 10. Cursing 
being harsh, being rude, to people made in God's image. This shouldn't happen. We praise God here. We curse people here. There's a disconnect. And deep down, deep down, we know that the sticks and stones mantra, we know that's about as true and as helpful as thinking that Glenn will like it when we cite Matthew Henry 20 times in our exegesis papers. <laughs> right, Glenn? Preach <laughs> I've got your back. Maybe it's tempting to take James literally. After all, he says, no one can tame the tongue. Maybe we should just give up, throw in the towel. That would be to misinterpret James. Remember, he's being rhetorical. The truth of the matter is, we can tame our tongue, because the message of the gospel is that God can change our hearts. Nothing is impossible with God, is what Jesus said. It may seem impossible, but it's not. In Christ, God offers us forgiveness for the times we have used our words as weapons, when we have used our words to hurt other people, when we've wounded God himself by our words. Jesus' death covers everything. It is finished. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, folks, is available and at work in us when we live by faith. And he calls each of us this morning to examine our hearts. And I would like to give us a chance to do that this morning. And I'd like us to do that in a couple of ways. First, maybe we need to apologize to someone who we've offended with our words. Maybe we know we've been harsh, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to misquote Justin Bieber. <laughs> it's not too late to say sorry. <laughs> but more positively, more positively, how can we build each other up with our words? How can we look into somebody's life and say, Instead of criticizing, instead of being negative, I'm going to say something that speaks life into that life. Remember, God can use our words. I was reminded of this recently. I preached at, at my church at West End, and this dear um, elderly woman came up to me after the service, and she said, you know, I needed to hear that this morning. And I don't mean just in conversations. Or work. Think, of, think of it applying to everything in life, whether you're preaching, whether you're teaching, whether you're just having a, a, a chit-chat with somebody in the line at Subway. I don't know. But will we consciously try to reflect the fact that we have power with our words, and God can work in and through us to build people up and to bring healing rather than to bring people down. I'd like to give us a chance to reflect on these things this morning, and then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray.
Father, as we look through the gospel, stories of, of Jesus' ministry, we see so many words of, of life and healing. Jesus said, I am willing. Neither do I condemn you. All things are possible with God. So many other words of hope and building up, and may that be characteristic of our speech. Forgive us for the times when we have hurt people with our words. And we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us. If an apology would be helpful and necessary because of our words, help us to be sensitive to that. I would say most importantly, going forward, help us to build each other and the people that we come in contact with. Help us to build them up with our words. Help us to speak words of life and healing. We ask this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.